Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Can a simple story advance your career? Hello, everyone. Kevin Cruz here, helping you to achieve your full potential five days a week. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about crafting business narratives that captivate, convince, and inspire. But first, don't forget to visit leadx.org, where you'll find hundreds of articles from dozens of the best business writers out there. And sign up for our quick read newsletter, which is packed with actionable tips that you can try out right away. Visit leadx.org. Our guest today is a former Procter & Gamble executive who now speaks and trains on how to use storytelling in leadership and sales. His work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Time, Success, Forbes, and many other magazines. He's the author of three books, and today we're going to talk to him about his bestseller, Lead with a Story, a guide to crafting business narratives that captivate, convince, and inspire. Our guest is Paul Smith. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin, thanks very much for having me on. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited. And, and we're going to talk about lead with a story in just a minute. But I always start with this question, which is, um, are you able to share with our listeners a time when you failed, maybe early in your career? And what was the, the lesson that you learned from it? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. In fact, we'll I'll, we'll loop back to that later. Um, but uh, yes, I, I've I've made many mistakes in, in my career, and I've made a, something of a career out of talking about them. Um, <laughs> one that I would share with you is probably eight or nine years ago. So maybe not at the beginning of my career, maybe somewhere in the middle. But I think it's instructive. Um, is I I just taken a new assignment um, at uh, at P and G, and I was in charge of this uh, department of about twenty five people or so, and. It was about six weeks before the end of the fiscal year, and my boss, who is the, the president of the, the business unit, came to me and said, hey, look, um, you know, we're having a great year this fiscal year. Uh, sales and profits are great, but next year really looks tough. So could you – some of the research you're planning on doing next year, could you hurry up and get it done this year so that, we, so that the expenses will all hit, of course, this year's budget instead of next year just because we're, we got a, we're looking at a really tough near, year next year? And, and of course, you know, I'm brand new in the job, got this, you know, brand new boss here that I really wanted to impress. So of course my answer was yes. You know, <laughs> And I went back to my team and I, you know, I explained the situation. I said, how, wh how much of our work from next year can we pull into this year for in the next six weeks? And everybody went and thought about it and came back to me the next day and said about a million dollars worth. So I said, oh, great. That's a nice big round number. So I went yeah. back and told my boss million bucks. I'm, I'm going to bring you a million bucks. So we, we set off to try to, to do that. And the next six weeks, were just a disaster. I mean, my team was working around the clock trying to get all this research done that they wouldn't have gotten done otherwise. Mistakes crept in. The morale in the department was awful. Some of the research we literally had to do all over again next year because we didn't do it right in the six weeks we had to do it this year. So just mistake after mistake, and it was just a disaster. And of course, it was all my fault. And uh, so I, I, I went back to my boss and had to explain you know, what happened. Um, and she actually had asked me the, the following year to do it again. And that's <laughs> when I had to remind her, I said, and I, and I took her into more detail than I, I took her into the year before. 
uh, and just to show her how much of a disaster that had been last year. And, and what, what I learned from that, I realized over time why that happened. Because I, I thought of myself as a pretty decent manager, but why would I have made such a monumental mistake? And the reason I figured was because I had this brand new boss that I wanted to impress. Mm. And so it, I was thinking more about me looking good to my new boss. But what didn't occur to me was that I wasn't the only one that had a new boss that they wanted to impress. The 25 people in my organization had a new boss they wanted to impress too, and that was me. And so they were telling me they could do things that they weren't sure they could do just because they wanted to impress me. And I was too busy worrying about me and what I looked like in front of my boss to think that there might be other people doing that as well. In other words, I had my own best interest in mind at that moment instead of their best interest in mind, which as the boss – I should have had. And so that just that taught me a lesson that stuck with me ever since then. I really need to be thinking about, you know, the best interest of the people that report to me and count on me as opposed to trying to make myself look good in front of the boss. Paul, that's a great story. And um, it really resonates with me because I started thinking back to the times when I've had a boss or I was a new partner somewhere. And you're right. I can think of a lot of examples where I give I gave a quick yes in I mean, you know, I probably justified it to myself as uh, trying to be a team player or doing, mm -hmm. you know, performing at an excellent level. When in reality, I wanted to look good. I wanted to make make my mark early. Right. And it often had uh, it sort of rolled downhill and didn't always have the best uh, best outcomes. That's a powerful story. Uh, and and Paul, I um, listeners to the show know that I'm a big fan of storytelling. I love the work of Joseph Campbell and mythology, and I even use sort of the hero's journey as a leadership model. But mm -hmm. let's start at the beginning. I mean, why do you think we should care about storytelling so much at work? Yeah, I think there's probably a, a lot of reasons. Um, it's, it's certainly an incredibly effective leadership and influence tool. Um, I'll, I'll give you my top four reasons out of probably a hundred I could I could <laughs> give you. But uh, the, the first one is that it, storytelling speaks to the part of our brain where decisions are actually made. You know, it turns out we, we think that we're these rational, logical thinking creatures. But it, the truth is <laughs> what the cognitive scientists tell us is that we generally make subconscious, emotional decisions, sometimes even irrational ones in one place in our brain. And then a few nanoseconds later, we justify those decisions rationally and logically in some other place in our brain. And the normal kind of business speak that we engage only speaks to that rational, logical thinking part of the brain. And if you want really to influence people's decisions and behavior and attitudes, in other words, leadership, it turns out you need to influence them in that other part of the brain where decisions are actually made. And, and stories are just well-suited to communicating to that emotional processing part of the brain, whereas logic and telling people what to do and lists of things just aren't. Uh, the second one is uh, stories are contagious, right? You, you tell a great story and it'll spread by word of mouth all over your world, however big your world is. And your, your policy memos probably won't do that, right? But a, a great story will. Uh, the third reason I'd give you is that, that stories make facts easier to remember. And there's been lots of studies that show this, that facts are between six and 22 times more likely to be remembered if they're embedded in a story than if they're just given to people in a list. And, and you don't have to believe those studies because I can kind of prove it to you right now. And that is that, that anybody listening to this right now knows that by this time tomorrow, 
none of you are going to remember this list of four things I'm giving you right now. (laughs) None of you. And that's okay. I'm not going to be insulted. Right. Um, but, but most of you will remember the story of my, my million dollar mistake. right? Right. And a week from now and a month from now, you'll probably remember most of the details of that story, but you won't remember this list of four things. Right. You know, so that's, that's the power of a good story. And I guess the fourth and last one I'd give you is that, that stories inspire. Right. Slides don't. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody say, wow, you'll never believe the PowerPoint presentation I just saw. <laughs> right? Nobody says that, but they do say that about a good story. And I think that's what you want people to, to come away with uh, after after the communication that you give. I think you want them feeling that way. Wow. Four great reasons. And Paul, I want to underscore your very first one, because, um, you know, th- this idea that we decide or we we buy often for emotional reasons but justify it with logical reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was young and dumb and in my twenties, I didn't believe that. I mean, I was a feature benefits and, and just right. sell the ROI and all of that. And then after losing a lot of things that had tremendous ROI on paper, <laughs> you know, I learned the hard way that I needed yeah. to move people emotionally. And now after, you know, a couple of uh, decades and change in business, I, I think it's completely everything we do, whether we're picking a president or or a uh, a spouse or buying or a new mainframe shampoo, it's all yeah. emotional reasons that we then quickly justify with yeah. uh, made up logical reasons. It really is that that powerful. Yeah. So. We don't obviously have time to get deep into your storytelling strategies, but give us some tips for telling an effective story. What are some things we should do or or not do when telling a story? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you three that I can do quickly here. The first one is recognize that storytelling is a skill, you know, one that you should and could learn. You know, if if you wanted to learn to play the piano, you wouldn't just buy a piano and and wing it, right? You'd 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 hire somebody, a piano teacher, right? And you'd take lessons. So just first thing is recognize that storytelling is like that. It's it's a skill that you can get better at and you should you and you probably should, but you have to study it. And, and that means learn from people who know. So that means read a book, take a class. Don't just think, well, I'll just tell more stories and I'll get better at it. You know, if you tried that with a piano, you wouldn't get very far. You could get a little bit, but you wouldn't get very far. So study, take it seriously like any other leadership, you know, or marketing or sales skill that you have. Secondly, stories have a structure. Um, in fact, uh, what, what I lay out in my most recent book is that the eight questions that your story needs to answer and the order in which it needs to answer them in order to, to really be an effective story. So I give you those eight questions. So why should I listen to this story? That's question number one. If you don't answer that, they might not listen to your story. Then where and when did the story take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? Right. So that's five, I think, or six. Uh, the, the last two, after you're done with the story, is what did you learn from it and what do you think I should do now? That's where you get to make a recommendation, you know, what, what, what they should go do. So those are essentially if you if your story answers those eight questions, you'll be in a pretty good position to have a decent story. Um, if you if you answer a bunch of questions that aren't in there, you're going to have a longer, more boring story that's kind of off track. And if you skip some of those questions and don't answer them or don't answer them in the right order, it's going to be more difficult for people to follow your story. So, so that, that'd be the second thing. Um, the, the last one I think I'd tell you is, um, surprise having like a surprise ending is so powerful. Um, whether it's a movie or a book or, or a sales pitch, um, but, but orchestrating your story to have that is really powerful. And if, uh, and it, and it makes people remember your story better because literally that little bit of adrenaline that gets released in your system when you get surprised 
actually affects the memory processing part of your brain, that memory consolidation period, uh, and it enhances it so that literally everything in your story, especially the lesson and the recommendation at the end, get remembered more if you've got a surprise ending. Oh, that's great. And, and I'm glad you, you shared, you know, the eight questions to answer. And that's what I found. You know, your book is very practical. This isn't just I don't know, you know, theoretical about storytelling mm-hmm. or the power of stories. You you teach people specific things to do to tell stories and, and effective stories. And uh, LeadX listeners out there, uh, this is really like go and get the book because there's sections on how to tell stories to you know craft a vision, to define a culture, how to teach important lessons how to drive innovation, which I wish I had the, this advice years ago because I yeah, struggled with that on my, uh, on my teams. So, um, Paul, let, let's, let's end with this, uh, takeaway here. You know, can you just share one of your own favorite stories and you know, whether it's a story from your own, own life or maybe a favorite story you heard someone else tell? Yeah. So, so you'd mentioned, uh, you know, like, a teaching people lessons. That's one of the purposes of sharing stories at work. So w- one of my favorite stories about teaching a lesson comes from a colleague of mine named Jason Zoller, who used to work with me. And he, he's the head of research uh, now at a, a, a big consumer products company. And he, he would tell his new hires every year a story that one of his professors in college told him 20 some odd years earlier. And apparently what happened was the uh, professor broke the students up in a, into groups of you know five or six students, and they each had a, a research project for the semester. But one of them had a more interesting project than all the others, and, and it was this. They had to work with the local judge to figure out how to improve the jury deliberation process. And so they did all the kind of things you probably would have done. They, they interviewed the other judges in the jurisdiction and prosecuting attorneys and defense attorneys. But mostly they interviewed former jurists, right, people who would actually served on juries themselves. And they asked them all the kind of questions you probably would have asked them. They, you know, how long did the trial last? Uh, what was the trial about? Uh, what kind of information were you allowed to have in the jury room? They even asked them questions that they thought were silly, like uh, what kind of food did they feed you right. and how late did, did they make you work in the evening? And what they concluded at the end of the research was that none of those things I just said mattered. The only thing it turned out that mattered was the shape of the table in the jury room. Wow. Right? And the, the, the jury rooms that had rectangular tables, whoever sat at the head of the table, even if they weren't the jury foreman, tended to dominate the conversation. And they felt like a, a less than robust debate of the facts ensued, and therefore maybe a less than fair verdict was rendered. But in jury rooms that had round tables, they felt like a more fair discussion kind of ensued and a, perhaps a more fair verdict was rendered. So, you know, they're very excited and they make their, their big pitch at the end of the semester, the, the head judge about, you know, getting these uh, round tables. And he's super excited at their finding as well. He immediately issues a decree. He says, anywhere in my jurisdiction that we've got any of those round tables, get rid of them. <laughs> right. Put in rectangular tables. And of course, you, I, you, you've read some of the books, so you probably know the punchline here. But the, the reason why he did that was because his goal, his objective wasn't to have a more fair or accurate verdict in the jury deliberation process. His goal was a faster one. Right. He wanted to reduce the backlog on his court docket. And you can imagine these students were just mortified at that here. They thought they were taking on this project to, A, get a good grade on the report card, but, you know, kind of make the world a better place and improve the jury deliberation process. But they thought improve meant more accurate. He meant improve, make it faster. And so they just they just felt awful about this. But to, But anyway, so Jason tells that story today to help these new hires understand this lesson, which is it's very important for you to be clear on your objectives before you start your research project. Not after. If you wait till after, you may be sorely disappointed in the result, just like these students were. 
Now, see, he, and he tells them that story, and it's it's incredibly effective, as opposed to just telling them, well, you know, if you want to be successful in this business, <laughs> you should get really clear on your objectives before you start your project, right? I mean, that that's just not memorable. It's not impactful. It, nobody's going to act on that later. But but once you've heard that story, it's almost impossible to not be thinking about that every time you start a project because you don't want that to happen to you. Well, and it contains, you know, the thing, everything that you said, Paul, including the surprise ending, like, whoa, you know, look at that right. surprise ending. And, and it almost has this built in virality. It's like, I'm, no, I'm going to be telling people this story in the next couple exactly. of days. So that's, that's really great. Great example. So, Paul, before we wrap up, I always like to challenge our listeners to get just 1% better every single day. So is there something mm -hmm. you can challenge them to do today? Yeah, I would have them do exactly what you did to me at the beginning of this podcast, uh, uh, to share a story about one of their biggest failures and and what other people can learn from it. I think that's one of the best ways to get started storytelling. It gets you comfortable telling stories, especially self-deprecating ones that people can learn from. And that I mean, who, who doesn't want to work with or for somebody who tells you their biggest failure stories so that you can avoid those same situations? So it's a win for for everybody. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great place to start. Paul, I love that advice because I often uh, talk about the power of zero to hero stories, whether it's to mm. build your personal brand or to, you know, a bond with the uh, the people on your team. People don't just want to hear how perfect you are and, and right. how great you are and that you're never wrong. They, you know, the authenticity builds trust, you know, which is great for leadership. And in terms of that uh, personal branding element, people want to know that, that you were where they were at one point and then right. made progress. I think that's tremendous. Exactly. All right, friends, you've just been mentored by Paul Smith. Don't forget you can get links and notes from this interview over at leadx.org. And Paul, what is the best place people can find out more about you and your work? Yeah, that probably my website, which is uh, leadwithastory.com. And I think there's there's links there to all my, all my books, um, the, the three. So there's lead with a story for leaders and parenting with a story for parents and sell with a story for salespeople. But uh, I've got some podcasts that I do as well on those same topics you can get there. And, and there's also uh, information about the training courses that I teach executives and salespeople about how to be better storytellers. And all that stuff's kind of wrapped up in that one website. Tremendous. And again, we'll put uh, links to your website and notes uh, over at leadx.org so everybody can get those. And listeners, if you've gotten even one new idea from Paul today, please do me a favor. Hop on over to iTunes, subscribe to The LeadX Show, and just leave a short, honest review. That would mean the world to me. So remember until next time, my friends, leadership, of course, is not about a title or power or authority. It's all about influence. We are all leaders. The question is, who are you going to lead today?